0: You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org.
1: Our first lesson comes from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 20, which you can find on page 722 of your Pew Bible. And as we love to say each week, if you do not have a Bible of your own, please take one with you after the service as our gift to you. (coughs) For thus says the Lord God Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? And to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet? and drink what you have muddied with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. The word of the Lord.
2: All rise. Today's gospel reading is Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, found on page 831. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, The righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Be seated, please.
3: Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you. If we haven't met, my name is Lewis Lovett. I serve here as the church planter in residence. I'm part of the group that's planting Resurrection Anglican Church at Midlothian. We'll be launching this spring on March 24th, 2024. Um, Um, I'm I'm excited to be with you here, and you may not know this if you are new to Anglicanism, but this Sunday marks the end of the Christian calendar, marks the end of the liturgical year, this year which we walk through, which begins in Advent, which starts next week, and it walks us through the story and the passion of Jesus, and it ends today on what's called Christ the King Sunday, and so we end acknowledging and proclaiming Jesus as King, King of kings and Lord of of lords, And the passage that we're going to look at for this might surprise you. It might even disturb you. Uh, I'll give you a little context uh, from Matthew 25 here. Jesus has already ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey. As we celebrate this on Palm Sunday when they, they laid their cloaks and palm branches down and they praised him saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus is uh, in a long series of teaching, some uh, in the temple, and some on the Mount of Olives, which is where he is. Now, and he has, he has preached that the Son of Man, that's him, Jesus, will come again in glory to judge the world. And, and he's urged them uh, to, to remember that they're not gonna be able to know when this is gonna happen. He's told them parables to, to implore them to be vigilant, to watch and wait and serve God as they wait for this day to come. And that leads us to our passage, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And, and in this passage, Jesus teaches that he will come again in glory, and when he comes, he will separate the world, all people, some to eternal life and some to eternal punishment. And so, I want to recognize how difficult and how challenging, for some of you, maybe how off putting it is to address something like God's final judgment. I, I don't know what thoughts or emotions that stirs up in you as we begin to talk about this, but I, I just want to encourage you today to, to attend to what the Spirit of the living God is doing in your heart and in your imagination as we consider these kings, these these things, I I actually believe this is really good news. Um, We also talk about this every week. The thing that we'll do right after the sermon is we'll stand and we'll recite the Nicene Creed where we'll proclaim together that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. So it's nothing new to us, but to really attend to this is is difficult. I, I hope we'll answer some of the questions about this, but I want to tell you this too, that when it comes to talking about the kingdom of heaven, the teachings on the kingdom of heaven, which is what this is. There's, there's a future reality to look forward to, but there's also an invitation to a present reality. And so one of the things we're going to be trying to ask ourselves as we look at this passage is, what is it like for you and me to live in this kingdom in which Jesus is the king today, together? So with that said, let's pray, and then we'll begin. Jesus, we praise you as king. Spirit, we ask for your help. To understand this text so that we might love you and love each other more. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, let's get right down to it. There are two groups of people in the world. On the one side, there are those who listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. (laughs) And on the other side, there are those of us who believe in something, who stand for something in this world, and who wait until the Friday after Thanksgiving before we search for Mariah Carey Christmas extravaganza on Spotify. Uh, I'll just say this. Uh, for my family, we've been a family divided for the past several weeks. and It's a real relief to be united once again now in this season. I, I actually find it really interesting, our fascination with this kind of thing. There are two groups of people in the world, two types of people in the world. It's funny to me that we can distill the Complexities of the human experience into one simple distinction. There are those people who like dogs and then there are those people who like cats. There are those people who make the bed and those people who don't make the bed. There are real tree people and fake tree people. This is a hot topic for some of you, I'm sure. But <clears throat> this, this passage for a lot of Christians has actually served as a, a tempting and ultimate, there are two kinds of people in the world. It's right here, right? God says he's gonna divide them into Two groups, the sheep and the goats. Those who are in and those who are out. Those who are bound to heaven and those who are bound to eternal punishment. And I just want to tell you that I don't think this passage is actually fundamentally about two groups of people in the world. I think this passage is fundamentally about the kind of king Jesus is. And if we're going to understand this judgment, which is a difficult and true teaching, we're not gonna be able to do it until we understand the kind of king that Jesus is claiming to be. And so here's what I wanna talk about. This is what's revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the king of glory who makes himself low to lift up the lowly. Jesus is the king of glory who makes himself low to lift up the lowly. And we're gonna look at each part of this in turn this morning. So first, Jesus is the king of glory the, the king of glory, if we cannot root ourselves in an understanding of Jesus as the king of glory, we're not gonna be able to, to receive him and welcome him as our judge. So we actually have to start here. And Jesus couldn't possibly say it any stronger than he does. This is how he starts. When the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So he's coming in glory He's gonna sit on a throne and that's gonna be glorious. And by the way, he's got this glorious entourage of angels. And when you see Jesus coming with all his angels, don't think four or five angels, okay? Think all the angels. Well, Revelation five described this, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Now that's not a math equation, you're not supposed to try to calculate it. The idea is that the, the host of angelic beings that are singing and proclaiming Jesus as king are too many to be counted, too much to be handled. Thousands and thousands and thousands, they fill the sky. It's an eruption of glorious praise. The, the shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night, they're the, they're the only people who really get this at this point because they saw the sky erupt into glorious praise, announcing the birth of Jesus. And this glorious king will sit on his glorious throne and the nations will be gathered to him. Everyone. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth. That's the day we're talking about. Power and authority belong to Jesus. Authority and judgment belong to Jesus. Now, we are trained to resist the idea of authority and judgment, aren't we? Because no one on this earth has a legitimate claim to this kind of absolute authority and judgment. But many have tried, right? Right? And no one on this earth has displayed this kind of righteous authority and judgment. And so what I want to suggest to you is that authority and judgment are not the problem. Unrighteous authority and judgment are a big problem. They've been one of the biggest problems and one of the biggest causes of suffering and pain in the world. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus is the one who actually is owed this kind of authority And I'll just say this. There's three things I want to point out to you about judgment here that are things to remember, okay? And the first is this. Jesus' judgment of the world is an act of his salvation. Jesus' judgment is the thing that saves the world. And if you are a Christian, it is the thing that saves you. This coming to the world, this gathering of people to himself, this welcoming them into the community of heaven forever, that's the salvation you claim if you're a Christian and it is a consequence of his judgment. It is a consequence of this separation. The judgment is the avenue of salvation, and so you can't actually separate those two things. He calls us by his goodness and mercy. The second is this, and this may be the most important thing I'm going to say this morning, so listen to this if you can. This Jesus who's going to come to judge the world is the same Jesus who already came to save the world, The Jesus who will come to judge the world is the Jesus who already came to save the world, to give himself up to death so that everyone who turns to him in faith might be saved, so that everyone might have eternal life. When Jesus comes to judge, this is not an unemotional experience for him. It's not an impartial, it's not an unfeeling thing. He longs for everyone to be the sheep. He longs for that so much that he came and gave his life. He came and said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, come to me. He says, come in this passage. It's not the first time he's invited those to come to him in faith. We gotta remember that this Jesus stands ready to forgive, ready to receive, ready to give the gift of the inheritance of the king to all who come to him. The third thing is this. God is not indifferent to our lives and to our response to him. And a lot of Christians have relieved themselves of the discomfort of this reality of future judgment by conceiving of a God who doesn't really care what we do or what we think about him. Because if God doesn't really care about that, then I don't have to worry about the consequences of my life or of my response to him or the response of my neighbors to him. But God is not indifferent. He cares very deeply about you. He cares very deeply about your life. He cares very deeply about your response to Him. He cares very deeply about the brokenness of the world, the need of the world, the suffering of the world. That's why He came. Jesus' judgment is a just repair of the injustice of the world. He comes to judge because of injustice. He is the king of glory. He's the one true king. Second part, he's the king of glory who makes himself low. The thing I love most about this passage is the way that Jesus describes himself. Do you catch how he describes himself? He's gonna come in glory with all his angels and sit on the glorious stone, and then he will gather together his people like what? Like a shepherd. Even in this passage of his ultimate royal glory, Jesus identifies himself like a lowly shepherd. Even in this moment of end time judgment and salvation, Jesus is doing the real and messy and personal and difficult and humble work of a shepherd. A shepherd that gathers, a shepherd that protects, a shepherd that provides. That's the Jesus who is the king. He makes himself low. We we, we heard Lane read in in Ezekiel, about this promise of God saying, I'm actually gonna come myself and be your shepherd. That's what Jesus is doing here. If, if you've been coming to Redeemer this fall, you've heard a sermon series on the Beatitudes. These are this series of blessings from the beginning of Jesus' sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And they're very confusing because Jesus names these groups of people as blessed who don't seem to be very blessed. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who are persecuted. I, I wanna read this part again. You tell me if this reminds you of that. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus loves the lowly. And he's been actually preaching this his whole ministry from beginning to end. That is with the lowly that he makes his life. But he does something here, he takes it a step further than he does anywhere else in the scriptures. Jesus doesn't just say I like the lowly or blessed are the lowly or I'm really in favor of the lowly. He self-identifies with them here. He says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And the people hearing this have no idea what's going on. They say, Jesus, when did we, I don't remember that happening. I don't remember you knocking on my door hungry. And he says, as you did to the least of these my brothers, you did to me. Jesus is saying, if you're hungry, I am in you, and you are in me, and you're my brother. If you are thirsty, I am in you, and you are in me, and you're my brother. If you are a stranger, I am in you, and you are in me, in me and I am your brother. The needy of the world, the suffering of the world, is the place where Jesus makes his home and his life. It is the place where his glory is shown. It is the place where his kingship is most fully revealed. Jesus is the shepherd king, the one who is high and yet low, who is great and yet needy, who is powerful, yet who suffers. And the reaction of this teaching, if you're reading through Matthew, it's helpful to look ahead, After Jesus finishes with this, the next thing that happens is that the rulers and authorities plot together with how to arrest and kill him, and then they successfully do it. Jesus' suffering is not hypothetical. His lowliness isn't a metaphor. He is the one who got low. Low to death, low to the grave, under the ground. He's the king who makes himself low. For just a second, would you turn to the front cover of your liturgy? You'll find an image here this is called Christ pentacrator. And this word "pentecrator" literally means ruler of all. And this is a concept and a type of image that you can find uh, throughout the world in the history of religious art. This particular one is is the earliest known version of this and it's from the Sinai region of Egypt from the 6th century. So this is a very old image. And these images where you've got a crown of glory behind him, you've got his hand raised in blessing you've got the word of God in his hand, is the image of Jesus as king. And this particular image has fascinated Christians for many centuries. If if you look at Jesus' face, you'll notice that the left side of his face looks serene, it looks whole, it looks peaceful, it looks beautiful, almost regal. But the right side of his face looks different. It's darker, it's gaunt. There's There's a twinge of suffering and of pain This this artist has captured what we see in Matthew 25, that Jesus is the king who makes himself low, that he's the prince of peace and the man of sorrows. Those things come together in Jesus. Fleming Rutledge says that the fullest embodiment of royalty is royalty that stoops. Isn't that great? Royalty that stoops. That the fullest expression of true royalty is a king who makes himself low. A king who draws near to the lowly and makes his life with them and for them. Another commentator said it this way in regards to Jesus' judgment. Jesus' authority as divine judge flows from both his glorious kingship and his suffering. So if you ask yourself, where does Jesus get the right to do this? Well, it's because he's the divine king and he's the one who suffers. That's where he gets the right. And I wanna stop here for a second and just say that some of you who are here might not care at all about this sermon or about some judgment that's gonna happen in the future in a day that you don't know, because today is a day, and this is a season, where you're suffering, where you're struggling, where you're experiencing the, the pain and brokenness that we're talking about here. And I just wanna tell you, I'm, I'm praying for you today that you would know Jesus as the one who was lowly, that you know Jesus as the one who was present with you and who unites himself to you in your struggle. And I pray that we would be the kind of church that imitates Jesus and moves towards the lowly with compassion and makes our life with them. Jesus is the king of glory. He makes himself low. Finally, why? To lift up the lowly. Jesus has good news for the lowly and to those who make their lives with the lowly. I know not everyone here is a Christian. If you're here and you're not a Christian or if you're not sure what you think about this sort of thing that we're talking about, actually, I'm really glad you're here. This is a great Sunday for you to be wrestling with this. If you're a Christian, I wanna ask you to close your eyes for a second. And I want, you to, I want you to hear these words. These are the words that Jesus speaks here and they're words that he is going to speak to you. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's the lowly who inherit the kingdom. It's the lowly who, as we've been saying all fall, who are blessed truly by God. Because Jesus makes his life with the lowly to lift them up, to lift them up to eternal life. And we come here to an important point. Are these like the qualifications for eternal life? Like if you feed enough hungry people and enough thirsty people and welcome enough strangers and clothe enough naked, like if you do enough of those things, do you get to have eternal life? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is this the ultimate to-do list for eternity? No. Remember, we're receiving an inheritance. He says, receive the inheritance. It's not earned. It's given by God's grace. And we have to keep remembering that this Jesus who is coming to judge is the same Jesus who already came to save and to give his life. And what he's doing here is recognizing the signs of those who, like himself, have known and inhaled the love of the Father and have been transformed by it. Transformed by it in such a way that they become low like he is. And they're oriented in compassion and generosity and giving of themselves towards the needs of the world like Jesus did. And Jesus also recognizes here the signs of those who have not known and inhaled the love of the Father and who have had cold hearts towards the needs and brokenness around them who are not those who are called by him to eternal life. When we share the life of God, our Father, through the love and presence of Jesus, we begin to take on his life. We begin to take on his heart and it makes us low. If you're here and you want to be a Christian, but you don't want to have to be lowly, you need to spend some time praying with God about this and asking him to lead you and to guide you. I believe he will. He is the shepherd king. I'll close with just a few points of of application. Next next week, as I've said, begins the season of of Advent, which is the beginning of the church calendar year. So it's it's a great time for new beginnings, for new ideas, uh, I'll also say it's the most commercialized and material season in the history of the universe. So it's a very challenging time to orient ourselves towards God. That's why we have each other. We're gonna help each other do this. Here's, here's a couple of things that we could carry into this season from Christ the King Sunday here. The first is this, be on the lookout for glory. Be on the lookout for glory. Be on the lookout for people, for relationships, for interactions, for moments. For anything in the world that draws your imagination more fully into Jesus, the King of glory, who made himself low to lift up the lowly. Be on the lookout for these glorious things. But you have to consider where to look. Because according to Jesus here, the place where his glory is made most fully known is not in great things, but in lowly things. My my favorite biblical scholar says it like this in regards to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Listen if you can. By making our flesh and our carnal condition his own, Christ has enclosed all misery and destitution in the sweep of his royal mantle. And this is the good part. So that now his glory will be found shining most resplendently in the places that are darkest to our human perception. You get that? The places where God's glory shines the brightest are in the places that we think are gonna be the darkest and lowest. Because that's where Jesus makes his life. So look for glory, but look in dark places. Look in unexpected places. And keep a journal of this. Write these things down. Or have a friend or a family member that you you chat with Friday at dinner or have a phone call and you share these things. Let's let's honor Jesus and help each other to begin to recognize the beauty of his glory in the world. The second thing is this. Pray about doing something with your friends or with your family or with your small group that gets you spending time connected with people who are living a more lowly life than you. There's a lot of ways to do this over the holidays. An an easy thing you could do, you, you could get on the Redeemer website and you click on the serve tab. And one of the things that you'll see is our justice and mercy partners. And there's a list of all these ministries that our church is connected with. And there's contact people listed there who you could call or email and say, hey, I'm interested in serving. What's going on in December? Something's probably going on in December. Or find the soup kitchen that's nearest to you. Or think of the loneliest person you know and invite them over. Again, I have to remind you, When you spend time with those who are more lowly than you, what you're not doing is bringing the glory of God to them. If they're more lowly than you, then they have a higher glory potential than you do. (laughs) So what you're actually doing is you're helping yourself. You're you're getting to bear witness to God's glory in the world. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to actually form you to be a lower person, to have more of an imagination for the heart of Jesus. But I think that's good for us. The last is this. Jesus really is the one true king. He really is the good shepherd who died to save his people from their sins. And our response to him is the most important thing happening in the universe. So one of the things that we are called to consider when we come to this, this sort of passage are the people in our lives who do not yet know Jesus. Jesus and who are enslaved to authorities that do not care for them and have not given their lives for for them. Who are submitting themselves to the judgments of those who do not know them and love them like Jesus does. And I wanna encourage you to commit to praying for those people in this next season of life. And to maybe discussing with your friends or your family what it might take to summon up the courage to share what you have in Jesus with them. To invite them to consider the life that is his. Jesus is the King of glory, who makes himself low to lift up the lowly. And as much as you've longed or waited for anything in your life, he is waiting to tell you, Come, blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.